Well, it's great to be with you, and thank you so much for having me. As I was saying at the beginning, I was, um, I was over in a place called Walton-on-Thames this morning, which is the weirdest place I think I've ever been. <laughs> it's just like these poshest, biggest, massivest houses, and uh, it's great to be here. Uh, it feels much more like home, I have to be honest. Let me, um, let me pray. Can I just say one or two things before I start? Um, today for me has been, I've... I, this morning I was with a, a friend who's having a breakdown and really struggling. Um, I was with a family, praying with them, uh, this is Dan and Walton, who um, have just lost their dad, just died right in front of them uh, in a restaurant over Christmas. Um, and I, if, I'm, if I'm really honest, I've just turned my phone off because I've just been texted by a friend who's just told me he's left his wife. Um, and I'll go home and call him later. We live in a really broken world, don't we? And I guess we all know that in our different ways. And uh, it's important that what we're looking at now is, is not necessarily the thing that will change everything this moment. You don't, it's not going to restore every marriage, it's not gonna, but it is the ultimate answer to everything. And that's why we're going to look at what we're looking at now, this really well-known passage. Shall I pray? Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you speak into all the brokenness of our own lives and this world with a gospel message uh, that brings hope and life and joy. Please help us now as we just dig into this passage. May it really refresh our hearts, our minds, and also our our joy to share this amazing news of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, let me tell you, I was in the swimming pool, um, I was throwing a ball, I love throwing balls, I used to be a PE teacher, I just throw balls, I just really enjoy it, and I was throwing a ball with my boys, and uh, we were playing catch, and this other guy joined us, and uh, we got chatting, and the first night is, you know, how are you doing, how's the holiday, great, second night, he came down because he wanted to play with us, he was thinking he was a bit bored, and he came to play with us again, and we got, yeah, what do you do, he found out I was a minister, uh, a church minister, and honestly, his language was pretty disgusting and he was what you're a minister no way and, and then the next day he came down he said what do you believe then and the last day he came down just before he was about to fly back he said he said are you one of those born again christians now the tone of his voice was it was like in my area it'd be like are you a trump supporter it's that kind of like you know it was so kind of i can't believe you are you really one of those people Now, the thing is, he'd lived in America for a number of years. He played tennis there. He was a professional tennis player. And um, he was a Davis Cup player, so he'd gone around the world. And there he was, with all this baggage, thinking what born-again Christians ought to be like. Born-again is one of those really contentious phrases within the Bible. And it's right here, isn't it, in the middle of our passage, in, in a couple of places, It was then, and it is now, really contentious. And Jesus uses these images again and again to engage our hearts and our minds. Let me read you a scholarly line, okay? This is what it says. It says, you see, Jesus doesn't come. He doesn't say, you are ontologically and epistemologically inadequate to be in relationship with God. Now, I haven't got a clue what that means, okay? I know it's true, but I haven't got a clue what it means. Well, Jesus doesn't speak like that, does he? He says you need to be born again, and it actually means the same. 
And if you were to go on to the next chapter in John chapter 4, he says to the woman around the well, doesn't he? What does he say? You need to drink of the living water. See, Jesus uses these images in his kindness to show us who he is. He shows us why we need him so much. And importantly today, he shows us of all those people that I could throw a ball at. And let me tell you, I can throw a long way. So there's a lot of people just out here. That's exactly what they need as well. They need to be born again. Jesus, here in, Nicodemus, um, in chapter 3, he speaks to Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council we see. And look what he says to him, verse 3. I've got the wrong translation, so I'm going to have to look down here. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, born again. I'm not going to use that phrase lots because what, it, what it's speaking of is it's speaking of a new life that we can have with God because of what Jesus has done. And I've got three quick points, okay? The first one is to show you what the, the nature of this new life and it's, it's a radical new life. So let's look at that, shall we? It's radical in a number of ways, but note that it isn't seen anywhere in this passage. Is this great outpouring of our emotions. To be born again speaks of an eternal life that we can know with God. It's not some emotional experience. It's not a lifestyle change that we make, like going from grey to navy or anything like that. No, it's a total, whole life, radical transformation. It will lead to an emotional response. Of course it will. But it's a whole radical life transformation. Now, I always like to ask this of Bible passages. It's a good thing to do. What does Jesus not ask Nicodemus? What doesn't he say to Nicodemus? Because I don't think Jesus says what we want him to say. Look, you know, Jesus doesn't say to Nicodemus, does he? Hey, Nicodemus, you're a pretty good kind of guy. You know, you're a part of the Jewish ruling council. You're a wealthy man. You're a respected man. You've done well, Nicodemus. Uh, you know, let me come and I'll make up the rest. You're, you're okay with God. Not perfect, but okay. Let's go half, shall we? Now, Jesus doesn't say any of that, does he? Jesus says to enter the kingdom of God, he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you respected, wealthy, you know, amazing man that he would have been. You've got nothing to offer, Jesus says. And Jesus is saying the same to us as he would say to the same to everyone out here. We have nothing. Nothing about who we are counts to get us into the eternal kingdom of God. And you realize that that's why this image of being born again is so hard for us to hear, isn't it? Especially when we have, when so many people have so much, like I was saying, the people around me. Like Nicodemus, like my friend in the swimming pool when I was on holiday. When I said to him, you know, and I did it in a kind of, look at me, by the way, not I wasn't pointing the finger at him. I said, look at me, you know, I am not worthy to be with God for eternity in who I am and what I do. And he hated that. Why? Because he knew what it meant for him. It meant that he had nothing to offer God to be with him for eternity. I had a meeting a 
a few weeks ago. I don't normally go to these kind of places. You're probably thinking I'm really posh now, but I never go to these places. I had this meeting in a really posh club in London, and I, had to, I hate wearing a tie, and I had to put a tie on, and up I went into this silly club. You know, and everyone's really posh, and they'll say, hello, and, I, blah, blah, and off we went. Can you imagine if I went into a club like that with all those wealthy businessmen and all those wealthy businesswomen there and said to them, whispered into that, you have to whisper in these places, by the way, by the way, you've got nothing. You've got nothing. Nothing about who you are can get you into heaven. You need to be born again. I think I'd be thrown out quite quickly, don't you? I think it will be one of the greatest challenges for all of us if we're Christians here today. Telling people that we know, graciously, gently, winsomely, that they need to be born again. Because it involves a total transformation. It is radical in that we've got nothing to offer. And you can see the cogs turning. Cast your eyes down to look at verse 4 onwards. And, and Nicodemus is beginning to think this through, isn't he? Look at it. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? No, of course not. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And you should not be surprised, or do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, if you didn't spot it, what Jesus is doing in these couple of verses is he's pointing Nicodemus. Nicodemus, this Old Testament scholar, he's a really great teacher of Israel. He's pointing him where he knows best, the Old Testament. And there's a couple of images which are being picked up, Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37. Write that down if you want to. Look at them later. Ezekiel 36, well, that was the the promise in the Old Testament of a new covenant, a new relationship being established between God and his people, where the Spirit would be given to each of our hearts. Ezekiel 37, wonderful picture. The valley of the dry bones. Do you remember that? God breathes, doesn't he? Breathes life into the bones, and what they, they come alive. It's a picture of this new life, of being born again. And, and what Jesus is doing with Nicodemus, he's saying, hey, this is stuff you know. Let me show you what it means. What happens? What that ha- when that happens, sorry, that person is made radically new. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, that person then becomes a new creation as God breathes his spirit into them. They have a kingdom power in them with a new heart, new desires, new motivations. Anyway, how many of you remember before you were a Christian? Totally different, wasn't it? Your whole life is transformed. It's a total change morally, psychologically, spiritually, in every way you become a new person, new ways of thinking, new ways of living, new desires, everything new. Let me illustrate it if I can. I, I, when I grew up, I had a little apple tree in our garden. And uh, they're horrible apples, but it was, look, it was nice to look at. And we had this apple tree. Can you imagine if one year, my mum just woke up and said, like, yeah, we don't want apples. We want oranges next year. My mum's mom, a good gardener, but can you imagine just trying to prune this tree to try and get some oranges for the following year? Now, I am no person. I kill everything in my garden. But, you know, even I know that you can't 
change an apple tree to become an orange tree by just pruning it. You can't do it, can you? If you want new fruit, you've got to have a new root. You see, if Jesus came along, and, and like every other world religion, just offered you to, to prune you a bit, to help you along the way, just so you can try a bit harder to become acceptable before God, well, if you're anything like me with your New Year's resolutions, you realise that's just a hopeless task, isn't it? Jesus hasn't come to offer reformation. He's come to offer transformation. A total new life. And it's radical. Why is it radical? Do you know what? The, the word radical comes from a, let me tell you about a Greek word, radex. Radex is the same word as what? Root. Root. Jesus is saying here, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God, meaning a radical or root transformation as God breathes new life into the spiritually dead. So to be born again means a radical new life. Secondly, a necessary new life. Going to go much quicker now, don't panic. All right. Uh, look at verses 3 and look at verses f- and verse 5 as well. Two, two times he says, no one. Very true, I no one can, enter, can see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God. The two no ones there do not allow any of us to be exempt. Being born again to enter the kingdom of God is not an optional extra that you tick. Oh, I'll, I'll click that box on the internet to get this, thank you very much. This is not an optional extra. Look at verse 7, he says, you must. He's not saying, oh, if you want to. He's saying, you must be born again. None of us can barter our way into the kingdom of God. Whatever we hold dear in our lives today, our families, our jobs, our finances, none of that matters when it comes to entry into God's good eternal kingdom, heaven. You may be able to get into all sorts of clubs and you know, places because of who you are and what you've done. But you have nothing to gain entry into God's eternal kingdom, his club. Do you see the necessity of being born again to enter God's good eternal kingdom? Now, I, I want you to shift the gaze. Don't look at yourselves for a moment. Look out there. Think of a friend who isn't a Christian. Do that right now. Call to your mind and your heart their name. You maybe have a, a, a colleague, a neighbour, a friend, someone you need to play sport with or, or do something with. Do you, do you have a kind of friend who you think they'll never become a Christian? Do you ever think that? You may think that actually there's no point in sharing the good news with them because they'll never listen, will they? Maybe they're just so satisfied with life. Like I was saying, people in our area, they've got everything. Why would they want Jesus? Maybe I had a friend at school called Graham. He was really annoying. He was a school geek. And he was just so, so clever. And he used to sit next to me in all of my classes and just interrogate me about the Christian faith. He would, like, mock me and berate me. And it was really unfair because he was, was going to be bullied. He was, you know, the type of kid who was always going to be bullied. And I protected him, basically, the whole way through school. Much, I mean, what did that do me at all? He just bullied me the whole time. You know, intellectually, he would say, oh, your Christian face is a load of rubbish. And I used to be really intimidated by that. Do you have friends like that? Do you think, I'm not going to get into the argument? 
they might win, win, win over. Maybe you know some people who are just so do-gooders, you know, morally upright people, and you kind of think, oh, you know, if I tell them about the Christian faith, if I show them their need to be born again, do you know what they're going to think about, about you? They're going to start thinking, well, I know what they think about me, that I'm not good enough. Are you going to risk your relationship with them to share the good news of Jesus? Do you tell them of their need to be born again? The problem is if you do, that they will know that you think that they aren't good enough for God. So do you keep quiet? It's very easy to keep quiet, isn't it? To make excuses. But Jesus is offering us new life through faith in him. Put it this way, okay? Put yourself into this passage. Would you do what Jesus has done? Would you approach Nicodemus and say you need to be born again? Look who he is. Look who Nicodemus is. Look at verse 1, for example. There he is. There's a man of the Pharisees. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council, basically. And sometimes you hear of the phrase, born again, and you think, ah, that only applies to the really needy people of this world. Well, Nicodemus, if you imagine, is the complete opposite of that. He is the member of the Jewish ruling council, what we call the Sanhedrin. And from that, we know a number of things. He's a man, he's quite old, he's very wealthy, and he's also very intelligent and well-read. We see in verse 10, he's Israel's teacher. That is, this is a man who is at home with the greatest and the good of the whole of that society of the time. He's right up there with the prime minister and the queen. That's where he is. He's on the front page of all the newspapers. He's on Sky News, on BBC News. There he is. Everyone knows him. He's got so much. He'd be respected. He'd be admired. He might even be feared. Does he come to Jesus begging to know more, asking questions? Is this a man who kind of knocks on your door and goes, tell me about Jesus? No. Look, he comes to Jesus, verse 2. When? What time of day? Night. What does he say to Jesus? Please tell me about how to enter the kingdom of God. No. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you, that God, if, if God were not with him. See, Jesus, sorry, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he says, we, us guys, we know. We, the important people around here. We're the ones in charge, and we know that you're something, Jesus. But he comes at night, and it seems like what Nicodemus is doing is like we all do. He says, you can, you can, Jesus, you can come and be part of our club if you like. You know, you're a bit out there. You're a bit on the fringe. You're a bit crazy. Everyone thinks you're a bit mad at the moment. Why don't you come with us? We see you're something special. You come and be with us if you want. We'll look after you. Let's work together. Obviously, I'm reading into the passage a little bit, but what is clear is that Nicodemus is not a kind of person who's going, please, Jesus, tell me about how the kingdom of God. He's not saying that. He hasn't got needs. He's right up there in society. But even then, Nicodemus, this mature, rich, intelligent, stable, respected, not spiritually seeking man, he stands before Jesus, and what does Jesus say? 
you must be born again. Do you see the necessity and the urgency? Jesus doesn't make any excuses and doesn't keep quiet, does he? Jesus sees in Nicodemus the fundamental priority that he must be born again. I wonder, do we see that in others? That person I told you to bring to mind, do you see it in them? Is that the first thing you see? I hope you see how relevant this is to us. You can imagine someone like Nicodemus, and I can imagine so many of my friends and neighbours saying something like this. Hey, look, faith in Jesus, it's okay for you. It's okay for you. It's not for me, though, thank you very much. You know, I I can see some people need it. You know, you might need it. It might be helpful to get you through life. It's not for me, though, thank you very much. I wonder. You know what Jesus would say to that? Jesus would say, yes, you do need this. But I wonder how many people we kind of shy away from. We're silent before. Just because they look so content and so clever or because they're so morally upstanding. Can I just encourage you, please stop. See their need as Jesus sees their need. They must be born again. Jesus here is challenging Nicodemus. He's the most sorted, stable man that you could ever meet. What we've seen is, therefore, is new life it requires a radical transformation. We've seen the necessity of it very quickly to finish. Let's see how we receive this new life. And besides, how do we get born again? Because I can guarantee that there's some here who aren't. What must you do to be born again? How can we be born again? Listen in, please. Last, last couple of minutes. Notice what Nicodemus does. He's mentioned in verse 2, he states his observation about the nature of Jesus. Jesus responds, and at first glance, it's actually difficult, isn't it, to see how Jesus, how his response kind of relates to what Nicodemus has asked. Nicodemus, therefore, look in verse 4, he asks his question. And that is it. That's all Nicodemus says, apart from the, if you look at verse 9, this is slightly kind of quizzical. How can these things be from Nicodemus? That's all he says. Now, if you were to turn over to, page, uh, to the page to chapter 4, you get the woman of Samaria at the well. You look at this later if you like. How does Jesus speak to her? I'll tell you. With lots of care. He listens to her for a long time. But here with Nicodemus, he hardly gives him a moment to say a word. Jesus even sounds quite annoyed. Look at verse 10 with me, and I'll ham it up a little bit. But Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Yeah, you get the idea? Jesus is kind of, come on, you're meant to be the teacher of Israel. Surely you understand. So what what does Nicodemus get from Jesus, and how does he respond? The woman got a very caring, listening ear in chapter 4. And Nicodemus, as we see in these verses, look at uh, verses uh, 13 uh, 13 to the end, he gets an obscure Old Testament passage to consider. This Old Testament scholar is basically being given a challenge. And Jesus is essentially saying to this very respected man, Oi, you, sit down. Listen. Listen. 
and consider. The next time we see Nicodemus, do you know what it is? In chapter 7 of John's Gospel, do you know what he's doing? He's doing exactly what he does here. He's encouraging the Jewish leaders to listen to Jesus. That is, he starts here and he doesn't stop. He just continues to listen. Look at what Jesus says to him. Look at verse 13, just as we close now. Verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, here Jesus is pointing Nicodemus back to this really obscure Old Testament passage, Numbers chapter 21. Write that down, have a look at it later if you want. There, the impatient people of God, um, they're in a camp and, and God sends some snakes into that camp. And the God's people are bitten by those snakes uh, and uh, they're lying there with poison kind of coursing through their veins. And God says through Moses that if a bronze snake is lifted up on a pole, all the people needed to do for forgiveness of their sin and to be revived is to look to the one that was lifted up on the pole. And they would live. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, hey, remember that. And listen and think about that. What does it mean, lifted up? Who must be lifted up so the poison, if you like, drains out of you, out of me, so that you might live? Well, he answers, he says, it's the Son of Man, Jesus himself. Jesus must be lifted up on a pole. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, listen and think this through. See, new life, being born again, can only happen, and please listen, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, listen. If you want to be born again, to know this radical new life with Jesus, now and for eternity, the only way that you can know that is to believe and trust in the one that was lifted up for you. Because spiritually right now, just as I have been and many here have been, we are lying poisoned on a floor, struggling for breath spiritually. Let me illustrate. How many of you brought about your own birth? Just out of interest? None of us, of course. A baby is not brought in this world because it, it, it decided to come out itself. Someone else does the work, doesn't it? Many of you mothers will know this. Someone else carries the weight and the burden. Someone suffers the pain and bleeds for you. That is, we cannot make ourselves Christians. We cannot enter the kingdom of God on our own. What do we have to do? We have to let someone else do it for us. We have to receive it and believe in the one who was lifted up for us. And like Nicodemus, we just have to have the humility to listen to Jesus and to consider what he says. And all we can do then is receive. We can receive the new life. We can be born again as we believe in him who was lifted up on a cross to take all the poison of our hearts on himself so we could live for eternity. This new life to be born again It is absolutely everything in this broken world. The struggles in our lives, and I know there are many, I shared with you at the beginning, they're they're weighty, aren't they? They hurt, 
They make us cry. But this is everything. And it is the ultimate answer. The Son of Man must be lifted up, Jesus, that everyone who believes, trust in him. And if you do, you have eternal life. This is what defines us. This is what unites you and I. We live 13 miles apart. And let me tell you that this is very different to where I live. And that's okay. But I am more united with you than I am my millionaire next door neighbour. Because you, many of you have Jesus in your hearts by his spirit. And we are united more in that than anything else in this world. It's what we are all about as a network. It's why we plant churches. Why? Because this good news has got to go out there to your friend and to your friends, to your neighbours. Let's proclaim this new life in Christ so that many, many more would be born again. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the good news of the Lord Jesus who was lifted up on a cross in our place to take all the justice and the punishment that our sin deserves. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can know this new life, that we can be born again, that the Spirit can work through in us to transform us and to secure us for eternity with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Amen. Amen.